It's a privilege, though, to be able to, to be with you again. Hello, Mike. How you doing, man? Uh, it is uh, just to look around the room and uh, see uh, who's here and uh, just the, the grace that uh, I know uh, has uh, been poured out in your lives. Uh, is, you know, it's just a, a cool thing to, to realize that he pours out grace into our lives and uh, that's that's how we became Christians right and that uh, certainly is how he sustains us is by his grace that's the um, that's the direction we're going to go uh, here this morning and um, I'm excited I'm going to introduce uh, Dustin up here and I've known Dustin for five months. He is um, at Trinity. Great guy. He is uh, a gentleman that I've been watching. I get to watch um, being on staff there. I've watched him grow in the Lord, and uh, he's been coming here uh, for since the time that he's arrived back in February, right? And uh, he shared with me as uh, as we were riding here that. This is the only place he's come. As soon as he came here, he realized he was home. And so uh, that's, a, that's a very nice thing to know that he is comfortable here and that he is fed here. And, um, and so here this morning, I would, I would like to have Dustin come on up. And uh, I want like to, for us to be able to hear God's story uh, unfolding in this man. All right? morning harvest are we on okay great um first off i want to uh thank you for being such a welcoming and a loving church family uh since i've been here i've been coming here for about four and a half months and from the first time i walked in the door i just could feel the spirit and i knew this is where i wanted to be you know um it's just a great feeling to have um wanted to come here and kind of share a little bit of my testimony in my past history um about where i've been uh where i'm at now and where I'm going. Um, I'm from a small town in Illinois, uh, right across the border from Terre Haute, Indiana. Uh, Paris, you may have heard of it, you may have not. Um, I grew up there um, as a small child, uh, went to Sunday school, you know, kind of one of those deals where the parents put me on the bus and sent me off for a while. And, you know, um, that was about the experience I had uh, of church as a child. Um, growing up there in, um, in Paris, uh, getting into my teenage years, you know, I was involved in sports, um, you know, hung out with uh, a lot of different groups of kids in high school. Um, and it was in high school where I started to experience the the usage of alcohol and drugs to uh, a little extent. Um, so I was introduced to that, um, you know, went to, went to college, uh, of course, because of, you know, my continued use and and it getting uh, ramped up a little bit, um, left college, uh, dropped out, ended up getting married. Um, and through my marriage, uh, I think my life was about trying to provide and being the provider of the family. Um, you know, married a great gal. She introduced me to church, started going to church with her, um, went to church for about 16 years, and kind of the whole time that I was doing so, to me, it was just kind of always going through the motions. I 
I went to church, you know, kind of was there on Sunday mornings, Wednesday evenings, um, you know, in fact, mother-in-law even talked me into singing in the choir, uh, you know, helping PBS, but the whole time, it was just as if I were going through the motions. It wasn't as if I was ever experiencing uh, the Lord in full. You know, I never really dug into the Word. Um, I think it was just something that I did to kind of save face and, you know, um, be accepted, I guess. Um, as, as the marriage went on, um, I found myself uh, moving up the corporate ladder a little bit in the company that I was working for. So in doing so, um, you know, I was introduced to some other things uh, that I thought would make me, you know, work, you know, work longer, uh, you know, work faster, um, you know, and get more accomplished so that I can make more money. And I think that I was trying to find my identity um, in the things that I had, you know, whether it be, you know, money in the bank account, the cars I drove, the clothes I wore, um, you know, how I could, you know, impress people or try to, you know, make them like me and make them want to be around me. Um, so this went on for, you know, about 16 years and it started out as recreational. Um, and from recreational, it became habitual. And then from habitual, it became over the top and outrageous. Um, it was about five years ago that my mother, um, who was the only family I had outside of my wife and her family, uh, she went through two major surgeries. Um, she had open heart surgery, then six weeks later she had to go in for an abdominal aneurysm and she did not make it out of that surgery. So I'd lost my mom and then uh, six months later, um, I think that the, the wife said she'd had enough and, and she left you know, a couple days after Christmas. So as you can imagine, I was kind of uh, shocked and you know, uh, from there, I kind of just went in a downward spiral um, in, in my addiction. But luckily, um, I had some great people uh, when I thought I had nobody come about and tell me about a place called Trinity. Um, and they first came to me, they were like, hey, you know, this is a year-long program, you know, and they thought that I was going to run at the thought of being somewhere for a year. But I told them that, you know, a year would probably be about the time, you know, a good time about the amount oh, amount of time for me uh, to, you know, renew my mind, uh, reprogram, and kind of, um, you know, find my identity, you know, because I think that I've been searching for that most of my adult life. Um, and so I filled out the, uh, the application, did the interview, and uh, they uh, accepted me. So I've been there for about four months, and uh, since the time I've been there, um, you know, God has revealed so many things to me. It's before I would open the Bible, read a little bit, and nothing really popped out. Um, but since being there, um, it's just amazing uh, what God has revealed to me. And, you know, it used to be always about me, 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 and, you know, what they did to me or, you know, what this person did or what I thought they did, and then realizing the whole time that, it wasn't necessarily them, that it was, you know, myself that had put me where I was and in the things that I was doing. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's been a great thing that I went uh, on February 21st. I had been saved before, but like I said, it was just kind of like a going through the motions thing. Um, you know, on February 21st, I went to the Lord again um, and asked, uh, you know, for him to be my savior. And since then, uh, there have been 
numerous accounts of what I would like to call God sightings. Um, you know, I was at the, uh, the Trinity Outlet store sorting through clothes, and um, at my mother's funeral, I played an old song by Ray Bolts, The Anchor Holds. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but so I'm there at the Trinity store, and I'm sorting through clothes, and uh, all of a sudden, we're listening to Pandora, some music, and the song starts playing Ray Bolts. Well, about three articles of clothing later, I pull out this shirt with all these anchors on it, and I'm like, what is going on here, you know? It's like, it was just crazy. And, um, you know, I realized in my life that I had a lot of anger, bitterness, and uh, rage towards other people. And all that was doing was eating me from the inside out. You know, it wasn't hurting anybody else. It was only hurting me. And, um, you know, I, I talked to a couple people. I talked to Kirk Stevens, uh, my mentor, Jeff Johnson, uh, Mike Ashwell there in the crowd. Uh, they had uh, given me some great advice, you know, along the way about, you know, are you praying for these people? And I said, well, yeah, I'm praying for them, but probably not in the right way, you know. <laughs> and um, so I started praying that, you know, that they could forgive me like God had forgiven me, you know, and that, that their lives be filled with happiness and joy and the peace that God has given me. It's, um, it's in unexplainable and inexpressible, just the weight that has been lifted off my shoulders and off my heart. I mean, my heart was hardened to the thought that, you know, I just, I was not a good guy and I had a lot of hatred in me, but no longer is that there. Uh, you know, God is our great redeemer. Um, and he has redeemed me through the power of prayer, getting in the word, and just, um, you know, just being in worship with him. And uh, for that, I'm thankful. Um, for now, I know that it's not my will, but it's his will, you know. Uh, you know, 10 years ago when I'm writing out my plans for life, my 10-year plan, my 5-year plan, I can guarantee you that getting up here and speaking today was not in that plan, okay, at all. But now I know that it's not about what I want, and it's not my plan. It's about, you know, God's plan and the plan that he has for me and how he's going to use me to, you know, help others and to um, move on in my life through his will and, and not my own. Um, so it's a great thing, you know, because God is good. God is good. And uh, I want to thank you for your time this morning. Um, you know, in my weakness, you know, he found me. He found me at my darkest time and pulled me out of that pit. And uh, today I can sit up here and talk about it and smile and kind of joke about it. But, you know, it is a great thing that he is a redeemer and his grace and mercy is immeasurable. Thank you for your time. Amen. All right, brother. I love testimonies. Uh, they're encouraging. They, uh, uh, something that uh, maybe our circumstances are a little different, but we can identify that we are all lost. And, uh, and uh, we have uh, been saved by his grace through our faith in him. And so uh, it's, it's just, uh, uh, I, I'm just uh, very appreciative of your courage. Five months, just five months in, and the guy's up here in front. That's pretty cool. And so uh, that's a work of, work of the Lord. You know, when I was um, uh, preparing, I was thinking about uh, the types of people that there are. You know, back in, um, 
in Old Testament times, uh, there were Jews and non-Jews. That's about the way their people were categorized. Jews and non-Jews. Um, now it's uh, what we know is there's Christians and non-Christians. And so it's um, we know the truth. We know the uh, we know that uh, this Jesus is the reason that we're here and taking this very breath today. And, and so it's, um, it's just such a, a refreshing thing to me that whether a person is a believer or not a believer, a person that is not a believer, uh, boy, do they need God's grace. They really need God, God's grace. As believers, boy, do we need his grace, you know? Uh, we uh, we're needy people, and we're we're always going to need Him. We cannot do this on our own, and so uh, thankfully we serve a Savior that uh, pours out His grace in our lives. Uh, can I uh, can I tell you the definition of grace that I found? Not just somebody that said this, but the, it was in my concordance, and uh, I love this definition. Grace, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. You know, we've, we're used to hearing, at least I am, uh, you know, that it's unmerited favor, you know, gift and what have you. But when I saw that, uh, the, the divine influence is that talking about that gift that is given to us and now is now in us, in our, in our hearts uh, through Christ. And that because of that, there's, there's a reflection that takes place uh, in our life that we're reflecting who? Jesus. And so it's, uh, it's his grace. Uh, another testimony here this morning that I want to go through through the word. And uh, it's, it's about a gentleman by the name of Saul who became Paul. Saul's his uh, Jewish name. Uh, he, was, he was later called Paul as a Christian. Um, and so I, I think it'd be good to be able to go through that and to glean some um, insight into our lives relative to the radical change uh, in a man by the name of Saul. And so um, if we can, why don't we, uh, why don't we look at uh, Acts chapter 9. Just the first two verses, and to set this up, uh, Saul, who became Paul, uh, he was born in Tarsus, which was a Roman province, so he's a Roman, uh, and he was also Jewish, and so man, he had uh, he had quite an audience that he could witness to, which is very cool, and uh, to the to the Jews and to the the Gentiles, he could witness to them. And so he, uh, um, he was taught by the greatest teacher of that time. Wouldn't that be something to, to be able to say? I was taught by the greatest math teacher when I was in high school. He's the greatest teacher of all time. Uh, and so his name was Gamaliel. But at that time, he was the, the greatest teacher of the law, Jewish law at that time. Um, he was very fervent. You know, this man had a, had a fervency about him. He was zealous about, about the law. Um, we're going we're gonna to see how that played out in, in his life. 
And so what I'm kind of describing here is in your bulletin, there's some points that uh, describe Saul's strength. Uh, and that's what I'm describing is, is, is all that he was taking in that would kind of build him up uh, to be the man uh, that he wanted to be. Um, so here comes Jesus on the scene. And, you know, people are following Jesus. And so now he is, this fervent, this zealous uh, Paul goes to the leaders of the, of the Jews and says, could you authorize me, could you give me paperwork that I can go and round, the, round those that are still following Jesus, the members of the way uh, that they were called, that I could round them up and uh, and they allowed that. So he was built up, and now he's empowered. And so, boy, there's a there's a combination now that um, it was pretty rough on those that were following Jesus. It turns out that he was. It says in the, in scripture that he would actually just go into homes of, of Christians, of the followers, and just drag them and have those that were with them. They would drag them right out of the house, um, and off they would go, and he would, they would uh, be imprisoned. Um, so let's, let's read Acts 9, uh, verses 1, 2. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so let's put, throw up the uh, Acts uh, chapter 8, verse 3 there, if you will. This is how he was described. Um, it says he was ravaging um, Another version, the uh, New King James says he was raising havoc. Uh, so, so he was ravaging the, the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In verse 1 of chapter 8, it also says that he was in, he was in agreement with the execution of Stephen. So Christians dying at the hands of Saul and certainly those imprisoned. Um, so he's raising havoc. When I, so here's, I just want to get you to get a bit of an idea of just how zealous this guy uh, was. He was havoc uh, in the description that I read. It's a description of a wild boar trying to find something to destroy. So you just think about, uh, a, like in a china shop, right? And it would, it would just decimate the place. And that's, that's the, the uh, reputation that he had. I mean, there was great fear of, of this Saul. And so, <laughs> uh, this wild boar is on the loose and uh, creating havoc. And so, I'd like to get to the second point, and that is uh, for us to be able to be used of God we have to be made weak. We have to, we have to humble ourselves uh, before the Lord. And so, 
he who was given the, the strength to be able to put people to death and imprison them has, is going to run into the very strong one, uh, Jesus himself. And so point two, Saul made, made weak. Now, so here, here comes God's grace um, on Saul's life through Jesus. And so let's read uh, Acts 9, 3 through 9. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who are, were traveling with him, they stood speechless. Can you imagine? This powerful man, they stood speechless, looking at him, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the, the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And so the the power and the strength of Jesus to absolutely weaken uh, a powerful man that was given power to wreak havoc. Um, you know, you think about, oh, wow, he's somebody we know of Stephen was put to death. And we're hearing that others were in prison. So if you were to encounter, to, if you would have had power to do something with, uh, with Saul, what would you have done? Uh, I don't think I would have done what Jesus did. I mean, I would have put that dude in prison, you know, and he, uh, and maybe even worse for the, for the crimes that he had, uh, had committed. But what did Jesus do? Is he, uh, by his grace, where we all have to get to, he humbled him. He humbled this man, and so he uh, is now, no doubt, um, on his face before Jesus. And, and then uh, Jesus talks to him. Are you kidding me? He just starts talking to him, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you, why are you persecuting me? Isn't that interesting that he says me? Well, He's already, he's already gone to the grave and risen. And so he's saying, you're persecuting me. And so, well, hmm. Jesus says in John 15 that um, as he's talking to the disciples, he said, uh, they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you because they hated me first. And so that's what he's talking about, is that what Saul was up to was he wanted to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, what's that mean? So, so he's rounding up the people, and uh, he's wanting to steal their joy, the, the joy that they have in Jesus, to try to get them to renounce Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Um, kill? Yep. He was, he was even 
doing that. He wanted to exact whatever punishment was necessary for them to renounce uh, Christ. And if it involved him involved killing, then so be it. And then destroy is the interesting thing as I've pondered it. It's um, he wants he wants Jesus destroyed. He was wanting him destroyed. That that okay man. He was crucified, and he died. That's what uh, that's what he remembered of him. But he wants now. Here we have all these followers with Christ in him, and now he's on the mission to destroy Christ in them. It's all about it's all about destroying Christ. So. It's a, uh, an amazing thing that happened to him. He was talked to by Jesus, and Jesus weakened him both spiritually. His faith no longer was, man, it was being, it was being shaken with regard to uh, Judaism and the law. So he's going to shake that. He's going to weaken that. And he's also going to weaken him physically as we discovery and as we read he uh, he was blinded wasn't he and he uh, had to be led he had to be led by the gentleman that he was leading and so it's quite a turnabout uh, quite a humbling experience for him but the main thing is is that humbly doesn't take place just because of the circumstances that we're in humbling takes place because of the circumstances we're in as we encounter Jesus and that's what happened to him. He encountered Christ, and he was very humbled. He was weakened. Um, Jesus says in uh, Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Talking about humility or being weakened. For theirs is the kingdom of God. And so grace, are you kidding me? What he was going to be providing for this man who was... Uh, creating havoc. Uh, what a gracious Savior. <laughs> James 4, 6 comes to mind, you know, and I, and I wrote it down. So I, it says that uh, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so when we think, you think about your testimony as was shared here this morning, um, humility humble before the Lord, realizing that I am not all that. I am not my own Savior. I am not Lord of my life. He is. And the, the uh, greatness of what has taken place in each one of us as believers, um, and if you're not a believer, what can take place in your life as a non-believer, that, and even today, uh, it is an, an amazing grace that is given to us. Um, Time-wise, it's, uh, I know I'm going to have to move along, but I can't help but sharing about my friend uh, that, um, whose funeral I did just uh, this past April. Big man. Uh, he was kind of like the big man on campus uh, when we played ball together at uh, Crawfordsville High School. Uh, ended up going to play D1 ball. Uh, life was good for that guy, very good for that guy. Uh, successful businessman, what have you. Um, when he found out that I had cancer, he contacted me and uh, was uh, was just upset about it. 
And so God used that for us to be able to be in contact with each other, him not, uh, not being a believer. And he said, I've heard about you <laughs> and uh, that, that I follow Christ. And so I got to share with him. This is all done by email, by the way. And so uh, ultimately, um, by the grace of God, as it turns out, by the grace of God, he contracted the same cancer as, as I. And his was ra- just absolutely raising havoc on his body quick. It was moving fast. And uh, so I told Jeannie, I said, well, let's go down there and hang out with them and uh, encourage him, just see, just see what the Lord does. So we... Um, Went down there, and this guy was humbled, man. He uh, uh, never seen him like that. And uh, we went to the marina down at Sarasota, Florida one day, and we're walking, and uh, the girls were walking ahead of us, and they were chatting, and this gentleman's name is Mark. He and I were walking together, and this, this guy's like 6'5", and 240, and... and uh, he picked up his pace, started walking faster. And then it's like, and then he turned and he stood me off, made me stop in my tracks. What's up? And he goes, okay, Kurt Stevens. I want what you got. How do I get it? And I thought, all right, all right. And so humbled, humbled in wanting what we have and the opportunity to be able to share Christ with him and him receiving Christ there. And um, he went home this uh, past April, and I was there with him uh, as he did. And it was, you talk, about a, you talk about the celebration that we had afterward to celebrate the life of this man, that, that he was uh, lost, found, and he's home. And so that's, that's what uh, Jesus is doing for this wild man, Saul, right? So, what he speaks into Saul's heart is, uh, is an amazing thing because he, uh, he now is going to give him strength. In his weakened state, uh, he is going to give him strength. Um, in John fourteen six, I may be going out of order. I don't know if I gave it to you out of order. Excuse me if I did. Back there in the booth. <laughs> uh, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we, when we think about that, what does that mean? In the life of a guy... In, by the name of Saul, he was going after the wrong truth, right? He was raising havoc relative to the wrong truth. Jesus was showing him that, that he truly is the Christ. Um, going back to the way, hmm, where did he meet him? Well, he met him on the way to go after those that uh, were following Christ. But he is the way for us uh, to heaven. He is the way for us to have salvation. He is 
um, in every way. He is who we're to follow and put our faith in. And the life uh, relative to what he was saying, you think about what he was saying to Saul was, um, man, I've got, I've got life for you. And it's, uh, as it turns out, it's not going to be an easy life for him as he follows Christ. But life is not easy, is it, as we follow Christ? We still, we still have uh, issues in life that we have to deal with and sufferings. And so, so now point three uh, relative to the strength of Christ. Let's look at Acts um, 10 through 19 again. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard about this crazy man. Oh, no, it doesn't say it. I have heard from a, many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight and he rose. He was baptized and taking food. He was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. So he's now given strength, isn't he? he uh, as, as we look at those words, we see that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. We see that this is a saved man. This man ha now has the, the power of the Holy Spirit in him. He has everything now that is needed. We have everything now for life and godliness. We have everything now to be able to go through the difficult, the good, and the difficult times of life. A uh, thing that really stands out to me in, in these verses is where he says, I'm going to show Saul the things he must suffer. Oh, wow. So what are, what are some of those things that he must suffer? Um, when we look at the look into that at Second Corinthians eleven twenty two through twenty nine, he says, "Are they Hebrews? Well, so am I." So he's defending his apost his apostleship to get some that are after him, saying he's not an apostle, and so he's defending himself. There he says, "Are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am." talking like a madman with a far, great, far greater labors, far more imprisonments. So here we go. These are, the, these are the things that he went through. And he had these beatings and often near death. Catch this. Five times 
I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. And so he's describing those things that he has gone through and, and during the course of his ministry, the things that he was ordained to suffer. And uh, so what do you think was going on with Paul? It's, he's now Paul writing this in Second Corinthians. This is, a, this is like eight or nine years later in his life. Uh, from what I was able to tell, and he's been and he's gone through the missionary journeys, and he's had all these these sufferings that are taking place. Now that he's on the backside of the sufferings, what do you think his conclusion might be? What grace that I was given by by God to be delivered out of all those sufferings. He's on the backside now and to be able to, um, to see that. But yet, there's one more suffering that he talks about. And uh, it is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, we'll look at 7 through 10. And so he's had these, he had, he's had these awesome visions that uh, prior to these verses, he's had awesome visions of heaven. And he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. This is what he's saying. I'm going to rejoice in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. What a turnabout. So he's pleading with the Lord, right? Three times he's pleading with him. Will you take this thorn from me? So this thorn that is talked about, it very well could be that he had eyesight problems and, and uh, Galatians talks about when he wrote uh, at the conclusion of Galatians, he, had, he wrote real big and so it kind of lets us know that he had eyesight problems. Maybe that was it. When you, when you look at all the sufferings that took place, can you imagine being drug out of the city of, of Lystra for sharing the gospel, and then he is stoned and left for dead. Can you imagine the injuries that would take place? So whether it was an eye or what, whatever it was that was really, really bothering him, 
he wanted the Lord, will you take this from me? Ever been there? We've been there. And uh, we, uh, we've all been there. We have asked him about different things of our life. Lord, would you, would you just remo- could you just remove this? And so the very things that go on in our life is something that is being addressed right here, right now in our lives by the, by the Apostle Paul as he's asking, Lord, will you remove this from me? And so it bears, can we go right back to the beginning of it there? It's, that's uh, verse 7, if possible. I put her on the spot. Oh, well, that's all right. That's okay. But the, the thing is, is that he's wanting it removed. And so Jesus says to, to him, what? My grace is sufficient. And so it almost would be like Paul's, in Paul's mind, it goes ding, 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 ding. Oh, my gosh, of course. His grace has been sufficient all the way through my ministry. He has always been there. He has always taken good care of me. And so some would say, well, he's not, he's saying no to his, to his question. I don't know about that. My grace is sufficient uh, for you, Paul, is the answer that is given. And so those of us that, who have physical things going on that we want the Lord to take away. I'll use my cancer for example. I can make my cancer my God. I could be asking all the time, all the time, distracted, distracted, distracted by my cancer. When all the while, my grace is sufficient for you, Kurt, in this time of life. And so when you think about uh, what we discovered uh, with regard to uh, that definition of grace, the divine influence, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life, it doesn't, it's, it's talking about our lives in everything that we do, not just the good, but the, but the difficult times, the sufferings that that Paul had to go through, the sufferings that we have to go through. You know, as, you know, these young men here, you know, it's like, what sufferings? I haven't been through any suffering. If you haven't, then you will. So I'm just saying that it is a, this is a good word for us that when we're going through something, where do we go? We go to Jesus. We go to the one that is able to give us the grace in, in our time of need. Isn't it something that... Uh, I almost want to say, let's show our hands here. Have you ever been in a place where things are really rough and then somebody comes in and prays and then all of a sudden the burden is lifted? What is that? It's his grace. He has met. He's met you there. So when we're on our own, whether you live uh, by yourself or with whoever, whatever's going on in your life, you're never alone. He's with you. And so he's, he wants to go through everything, good 
and the bad and the difficult times. And so that's my encouragement here this morning is that it's by grace that we're taking the breath that we're taking right now. And so if we're going to project out and imagine and use our wild imaginations, you know what they're going to do? They're going to, they're going to wreak havoc on our lives. They're going to be like Saul in our lives. But as you stay in the presence of the Lord, you're going to live in his grace. And so that's my encouragement, live in his grace here this morning. How about we pray? Father, we give you thanks. You're so good to us. Undeserved gift. This divine intervention that you, and the divine influence that has taken place in our lives. And now, Lord, being able to say, would you, Lord, use us. Use us, Lord, that we can reflect you. We don't know where that's going to be, but may it start here today in our hearts. Lord, exact that in our hearts just as you did that with Saul who became Paul. You're a very good God and we trust you and we thank you that you have met us while we are on our way to destruction. You met us and you have restored us. And you're just a wonderful God, and we, we give you thanks for this very day, Lord, and this time that we can say thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, we can open the door.